From the American College of Cardiology, this is Dr. Kim Eagle, ACC.org Editor-in-Chief. With this week's Eagle's Eye View, this is your weekly cardiovascular update from ACC.org. This conversation was recorded on the 14th of January, 2019. Hard to get used to that date. And I'm going to review three articles that were published this week actually in the European Heart Journal. One talks about the impact of high-dose statin in patients having uh, PCI after an acute coronary syndrome. Another one is uh, looking at predictive models for individual life years gained in uh, patients with diabetes in terms of treating lipids, blood sugar, blood pressure. And the last one is an interesting article which is a nice review of the mechanisms and potential diagnostic evaluation of patients who have persistent or recurrent angina following PCI. So let's get started with this first article, which looks at loading dose of atorvastatin and MACE in patients having PCI for acute coronary syndromes. And they actually summarized 13 trials that included over 22,000 patients of whom about 11,000 received a loading dose of 80 milligrams of atorvastatin prior to PCI for ACS. And interestingly, atorvastatin at this dose reduced MACE and myocardial infarction and subsequent revascularization and stroke. There was no difference in death or rehospitalization between the groups who did and did not get the high-dose statin. And when they analyzed subgroups, the risk reduction of atorvastatin was still about uh, 40%. So it's, it's very interesting that high-dose statin given before PCI in patients with ACS appears to have both short-term, 30-day, and potentially after 30-day benefits. This would be, of course, compared to either low-dose statin or no statin therapy at all. And I think it calls to mind this notion that that statins have so many effects that go beyond LDL lowering, the so-called pleiotropic effects of statins, whether it's inflammation or vascular reactivity or other things, is important. And there are other studies showing essentially a similar result in uh, using high-dose statin therapy before coronary bypass graft surgery. In some ways, an ACS represents, if we used a cancer analogy, this would be the initial therapy, high-dose statin. Maybe later in the course, one can back off to lower-dose statin. But this article and others like it certainly argue that you and I should be using high-dose intense statin in patients with ACS, particularly those having a PCI. So I wanted to review that article for you. The second paper looks at the ability to predict risk of lifelong cardiovascular disease and prevention in people with type 2 diabetes. And actually, this was a very robust study. This study uh, was also published in the European Heart Journal. They developed a diabetes lifetime perspective prediction model. It consisted of two complementary competing risk-adjusted COX uh, proportional hazard functions. And they used data from patients with type 2 diabetes in the Swedish National Diabetes Registry almost 400,000 patients, and they looked at outcomes including cardiovascular events and non-vascular mortality. They used predictors that would be familiar to you, age, sex, smoking, systolic blood pressure, BMI, A1C, GFR, non-HDL cholesterol, albumin in the urine, 
duration of diabetes, insulin treatment, yes or no, and a history of cardiovascular disease. And they validated their models using data from a number of trials, ADVANCE, ACCORD, ASCOT, and the ALHAT LLT trials, as well as SMART and the EPIC NL cohorts, and a Scottish Diabetes Registry, which altogether was almost 200,000 patients. Both the predicted and the observed cardiovascular event-free survival showed good agreement in all the validation sets, and the C statistics for this were very high, 0.83, but in the validation, slightly lower at 0.64. An interactive calculator is available to you at www.u-prevent.com, and this is a way that you could use this type of information in risk prediction in your practice. Certainly, this study, I think, calls to mind that we can, with large, robust data sets, get pretty good estimates of life years gained by various types of therapies, and the prediction of individual-level treatment could be facilitated by using this particular approach. Obviously, when we see a study like this, often the validation cohort has a lower C statistic, and this one was no different. But I do think this website is worth you taking a look at, www.u-prevent.com. And this is from a European Heart Journal paper published uh, just this past week. The final article I wanted to simply comment on is basically a paper that reviews the mechanisms and diagnostic evaluation of patients with persistent or recurrent angina following PCI. And it's a perspective. It goes through the fact that about 20 to 40 percent of patients will have recurrent or persistent angina after a PCI. And a lot of mechanisms might explain this. Obviously, one would be a recurrent ischemic lesion, such as due to stent thrombosis or instant restenosis or uh, vessel dissection. Others would include residual diffuse disease or myocardial bridging or maybe a missed branch that was there that you didn't see. The article points out with the newer generation drug-eluting stents, the rates of stent thrombosis are less than 1%, and the rates of recurrent stenosis are about 5% at one year. Obviously, this varies depending on the type of patient and the type of anatomy. Other factors also, though, need to be considered. Persistent angina could be due to coronary vasomotor disorders. You could have epicardial constriction due to spasm. You could also have smooth muscle vascular reactivity. Microvascular dysfunction could be present. All of these are possible. Clearly, non-invasive testing, like using exercise testing with imaging, is probably the first step that we should use to further diagnose and or risk stratify. Invasive testing strategy might include both anatomic assessment but also physiologic assessment using pressure wires or IVIS or OCT when there's worry for obstructive epicardial disease. And if there aren't obstructive lesions, the possibility of functional assessment with ergonovine to test for epicardial spasm and acetylcholine challenge to look for microvascular spasm should be considered. It's really interesting how often we see this angina in patients who've had a PCI. Certainly, persistent post-PCI angina should prompt further diagnostic testing. Not infrequently, a cause can be identified. And certainly, often, additional medical therapy, including high-dose statin, 
appropriate therapy uh, to treat spasm or microvascular dysfunction can be added. So these are three articles, all of which were in the European Heart Journal this week that I liked. I thought they were interesting. Certainly seems to be valuable to my own practice. I want to thank you for listening to Eagle's Eye View. This is your weekly cardiovascular update from acc.org. And you can find these articles and the journal scans on the website. Also, you'll look for our new educational catalog that's featured on acc.org. Using this tool, you can sort the educational offerings we have by various formats. And, of course, many of these are free. Find us online or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next week, I hope you have a great one. Thank you.